I'm glad that I'm with you all today. Um, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles, if you could, please. And we're going to get to the book of Numbers. Um, We're going to go to the Old Testament and go to the book of Numbers. uh, And we are going to um, get there a little bit later in the message today. But Numbers 21 is where I want you to go. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers 21. It's earlier on in the books. If you don't have a Bible, please pull one out of one of the seat pockets in front of you. Uh, And when you're turning there, while you're turning there, I'm just going to ask if you would just take a moment once you're there. And we're just going to quiet our hearts. I'm going to bow my head. And we're just going to ask God to speak to us through his word. So let's just do that today. God, thank you so much that we can come together. We can open your word. And we can hear from your word. Uh, God, your, your word tells us that it is living and active. We know because the spirit is the one who's inspired your word. The apostle Paul writes that all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we may be equipped for every good work. So God, I pray as we open your word today that they not just be words on a page. God, that we view them through the lens of the inspired word of God. We view them through the lens as a message that you have spoken to your people for this time because your word is not dead. Your word is alive and it can change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We are in the Taboo series right now, and we're gearing up towards the end of this now. I'll be speaking this week, and next week Pastor Matt's going to be speaking on the series. But if you're joining us maybe for the first time or second, maybe you're not familiar with this, we've been spending all summer talking about things that we don't usually talk about in the church. They're big topics that people wrestle with in the world. Um, And many times the church has a platform to talk about them because there is a biblical perspective that you can actually bring to many of these topics. But many times we ignore them. So we focus on things that really in in the, the, the church's definition seem a little bit more spiritual. And some of the big issues that we wrestle with on a daily basis, we don't ever talk about. If you look back over the last number of weeks, we've talked about depression. How do we deal with depression in a world that is depressed? We have a very... Uh, systemic issue of depression and what does it look like through the lens of, of the scriptures and what does it look like and how a Christian should focus on depression. We talked about heaven and hell in this series um, and you think why in the church do we not talk about heaven and hell? We really don't talk that much about heaven and hell. We talk about holiness and we talk about living for God and we talk about excerpts from scripture that would be important. But heaven and hell are important for us to talk about because the way we view eternity has a lot to do with how we live today. And it's important for us to understand that there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. There is a real eternity with God and there is an eternity without God. And it should impact the way we live and it should impact the way we love others. Uh, We took two weeks and we focused on addiction And we had two guest speakers come in and talk about addiction and the reality of that addiction affects so many people, so many families. It's not just about drugs and alcohol. You can be addicted to a lot of things, but we talked about some of the science behind that and how we can deal with that as as Christ followers. Uh, And then last week I talked about feeling disappointed with God. What is it like when we feel disappointed with God, when we, our expectations and the reality of our lives don't always look the same? Do we run to God or do we run from God? Um, today we're talking about something, um, and uh, I'm, I called the message today the unseen idol. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about idols today. Uh, the unseen idol is what I'm calling it. Um, now, if they had just used the word idol, I think all of us would have some idea of what an idol is uh, in our culture. Even if you don't understand anything about the Bible, you've probably heard of American Idol. 
Okay, so we can start there. Okay, where what is an idol? Okay, what is an idol? Well, we have a, a culture, we live in a world where idols exist, and they're not a good thing for idols to exist. In our culture, what does it mean to be an idol? Well, an idol, by definition, is anything that receives worship that isn't the one true God. So it doesn't mean things that we like. It doesn't mean things that we're interested in. It doesn't mean a hobby is an idol. It means things we worship. Things that take the most important place in our heart, which means over God. And that's what worship is. When we're worshiping God, he is the priority of our lives. When we're acknowledging God, we worship God, he is the number one place. He's in the pole position of our lives. When we replace him with something else, then it becomes an idol because we're worshiping it over something else. And this is historically something that our that human nature has struggled with. And there's good reason for that, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, but, but we do associate it with man-made images for the most part. In the Old Testament, you see about images that were made out of wood and of gold and all those kinds of things. You see it in the New Testament, precious metals or stone carvings that different people did, and they worship these things, making them gods. We talked about that, um, or, or you see that all through the scriptures. In fact, the first two of the Ten Commandments are about idols. In verse 3, God says this to Israel. He says, you must not have any other God before me. Verse 4, but you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or any image or anything in heaven or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. So we see that right in the beginning of the Ten Commandments when he talks to Israel to say, idols are bad, you can't make any form of anything, don't carve something, don't try to make something, because when we create something that's tangible, we begin worshiping that instead of worshiping that that which is unseen, which is God himself, the one true God. So it's a pretty clear message that idols aren't something that we should be worshiping in Scripture, and yet still we do as people, and I wonder why. Well, Jesus talks about it in Matthew 6, 24, and this is what he says. You cannot be the slave of two masters. You will be like one more than the other or more loyal to one than the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And money actually is just another way. It's mammon. It actually is just physical things. So what what Jesus is saying here, and this is why idol worship is so important for us to understand. He's saying here, you're all going to worship something. Everybody worships something. Why? Because we are created to worship. We are created by a divine creator to know the one who made us and to worship him. And either he's the one in that position or something else is in that position. And what he says here, and Jesus is saying here, and this is why idols are so important, you can't do both. You're either worshiping God or you're worshiping something else. Either God is in charge or you are in charge. And this is why this is so important. So I'm I'm just kind of breaking that out to get things started this morning to say, hey, let's just break it out and say, okay, we're either going to worship God or we're going to worship something else. And that's important. And I think most of us would agree uh, in some way that, you know, if we started coming in on Sunday mornings and we made like these tiki statues of Pastor Rob 
or Pastor Matt, you know, and we said, like, you know, let's just, you know, serve the tiki statue of Pastor Rob. Like, no one would want to do that, right? I would hope not, anyway, right? Or if we said, you know what, uh, let's make a picture of Jesus, an image of Jesus, and let's hang him around the room, and, and we're going to pray to the picture because the picture is, is supernatural. There's something about the picture. I would hope that most of us in the room would say, that doesn't make sense either. That sounds like we're, we're putting something of value on something, we're putting a divine value on something that really is just not spiritual. I would hope most of us would say that that's not something we should do because the Bible tells us we're not supposed to do that because we have a direct line through Christ. We have a direct, excuse me, a direct line to God Almighty. And we don't need to go through relics. We don't need to go through statues. We don't need to go through wooden poles or anything like that. Those things try to replace the relationship with God and they can never do that. But today, we're going to talk about what I call the unseen idol. And I think, taking all those other examples and putting them to the side, the unseen idol, I think, is probably one of the most dangerous ones for Christians. And this is why I want to talk about it. The unseen idol is something that stays underneath the radar screen in our spiritual walk, where we don't necessarily think it's an idol, but actually it could be one of the worst forms of an idol, resulting in us losing intimate relationship with God. And I'm going to explain that to you in just a few moments, but we're going to do it through the book of Numbers, chapter 21. So if you have Numbers 21, we're going to begin reading verse 4, okay? Let me tell you what's going on here before we start to read, okay? What's happening is the nation of Israel has been pulled out of Egypt, and they're wandering in the wilderness, okay? Now, when they wandered through the wilderness, it wasn't a wander where they were just kind of aimlessly walking around, and they didn't kind of know where they were going, you know? I mean, that's kind of silly. What it meant was, as they were going through this wilderness, they'd have to interact with different peoples that lived, different people groups, I'm sorry, that lived across the wilderness. And some of them gave them passage through their lands, and some of them said, no way, you're not going to come through our land, because they were afraid of them. And they would fight them. And there were these battles that would happen while they were in the wilderness. So on the way to the land that God would promise them, they would have these different interactions, okay? Sometimes they'd walk through the land. Sometimes they had to walk around different places. Edom was one of the people groups that refused to let Israel walk through their land because they thought, they thought it was a threat and that they would take them over. So this is what happens, okay? Right now, they're in the, in the wilderness. It's many years since they've been in the wilderness, This is the second generation of people, okay, that are walking in the wilderness. The first generation are getting older, and this is what happens. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. Edom. Why do they go around Edom? Because Edom said, you can't go through our land. But the people grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complain, there's nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. See, even back then, thousands of years ago, food was a big deal. See, and this is something we need to remember. They're complaining about this as they're walking through the wilderness. Keep in mind, all of these people, many of these second-generation people were young when this happened, okay? Anyone under 20 would have witnessed them walking through the Red Sea. 
with the water piling up on either side. They would have witnessed the manna being provided for them each and every day. They would have witnessed the quail that came in to the nation in the wilderness that they could have meat. They would have witnessed water coming from a rock. They would have seen Moses come down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. The Bible says that it was the pillar of God's presence and the cloud that led them during the day, and there was a pillar of fire that led them in the evening. They witnessed all of these things they could see, even as all of the tents were surrounding the the presence of where God was in the tent of meeting. When all of the nation would camp every night, and they'd camp in the center of where they are was the tent of meeting where Moses would meet with God, and they could physically see a manifestation and a presence surrounding that tent to know that God was meeting with Moses. This is what they're observing, and they're still complaining to Moses Right? It says they're still complaining in this situation to God and to Moses. And they're saying, you brought us out to Egypt to die here in the wilderness. We're complaining all of the faithfulness that God has done, all the good things that God has done, and they still shake their fist at him. Now, I like that for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons why I really like that is because I feel like I can relate to that. Because there are things in my own life that I can look at and I can say, even though God was faithful here, 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 in the moment of something that I'm doing in this moment... There's a possibility that just maybe I might shake my fist at God just for a moment because I'm being human. Anyone else have that experience? Yeah, you can nod your head. A couple brave hands went up, kind of like, yeah, that's me. Uh, But yeah, I know what that feels like. And they're complaining. And in fact, if you backed up earlier in this passage, you see they just experienced a great victory over the people in Canaan, the Canaanites. But they're still complaining to God. And they're complaining and they're murmuring, the Bible says. They're murmuring. To God. Rah, 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 rah. Okay? Verse 6. This is how God responds to this. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people. Hmm. And many were bitten and died. Hmm. <laughs> then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. See this happens? God helps us. We thank God. Then we get crabby again and we think God doesn't love us, then there's a consequence from walking away from God, and then we get on our knees and we ask God for forgiveness again, and God intercedes, and Moses prays for them. And look what God does in verse 8. Then the Lord told him, make a replica of poisonous snakes and attach it, or a poisonous snake, and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. See what's happening? He didn't take the snakes away. He didn't take the snakes away. He just said, if you get bitten by a snake, now we have this bronze pole, this bronze snake on a wooden pole. Look at that, and you won't die. God made a way for them to still experience salvation. You say, okay, why is this so significant? And what does this have to do with unseen idols? We're going to fast forward in our minds and through Scripture 700 years. 700 years. And this is when Israel now is led by a king named Hezekiah. And at 25 years of age, this guy is given the kingdom of the southern region of Israel. And he is a good king. And he wants to honor God. And he wants to do things that honor God. And he's going to get rid of anything in the country that is not honoring to God. And he's going to raise up everything that is worth it. Everything that says God is the priority. And in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, look what he begins to do. It says this. I have it for you. Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, began to rule over Judah in the third year of King Hosea's reign in Israel. Okay? He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. 
His mother was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. Okay, little background just so you know who this guy was. Look at verse 3. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the pagan shrines. He smashed the stone pillars, and he cut down the Asherah poles. All of those were gods and idols that were going to be devoting worship that were not worshipful to God Almighty. They were from pagan gods and those that did not worship God, the true God. And then he says this, he broke up the bronze servants, servant, serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. The bronze serpent was called Nehushtan. And Nehushtan is just a Hebrew word that means bronze. Bronze, that's all it means. It's not super fancy. So bronze, bronze snake or whatever. What happened here? Think about the impact of this. 700 years after they complained, 700 years after God did a miracle amongst the people, 700 years after Moses, in obedience to what God said, created this bronze snake. So when they looked at the snake, they would be healed. 700 years later, Israel still worshiped in the bronze snake. They're not worshiping God. They're worshiping a relic. They're worshiping something that did a good thing in the history of their nation. You know what I mean? Hear what I'm saying? It was powerful at one time. When they look back and they go, do you remember when we were foolish? Do you remember when our ancestors were being boneheads? Do you remember when they were complaining about God and God brought this bronze snake and they sit there? I can imagine them at the dinner table saying, and your great, 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 great grandfather, and he was, he was dumb and he was worshiping these, you know, he was complaining about this stuff. Oh, but God was faithful. And God told Moses to create this bronze snake and put it up on a stick. And everybody that looked at the bronze snake was healed. Everybody that focused their eyes on this thing was healed. If I can spin it a little bit of a different way, do you remember when God did a miracle amongst us? Do you remember what it looked like? Do you remember that church service that we were in? Do you remember that message that that pastor preached? Do you remember the worship song that was sung when God spoke in that moment, in that time? Oh, do you remember that good time? Oh, it was a wonderful time. And I'm not discrediting the thing that God did in the past. The problem is that 700 years later, the nation of Israel is still holding up something that's just a piece of metal. And they ascribe deity to it. And they're worshiping it, saying that there is some special significance to this thing. Can I tell you, can I tell you, we can do this today in our hearts if we're not careful. We can do this in our churches if we're not careful. Because the Nehushtan is an example of a method that God uses. God used a method called a bronze snake. That was the way he used a, a tool to be able to speak to his people and to show them his power. And instead of following God relationally and staying in close connection, they took their eyes off of the relationship with God and they put their focus on the thing. And the thing actually has no life. But 700 years later, they're still burning incense to it, the scripture says. They're still worshiping this thing. Why? Because 700 years ago, God did that. And you think, well, we're not burning incense to stuff today in our church. We're not doing those things. But it's so possible that it happens in our world. And this is why I call it an unseen idol, because we wouldn't ascribe to it any type of negativity. 
You may come through the doors of bridge or maybe your, your experience in Christianity is such where you remember 30 years ago or 20 years ago or two years ago the thing that God used to speak to you. You remember that outreach or you remember that moment at the altar. You remember what that message was. You remember what that song was that someone sang. You remember what the building looked like. You remember what the the structure was. You remember, and all of those things are methods that God uses to communicate his presence to people. And none of those things are spiritual. None of those things are the relationship with God. They're just means by which God communicates himself to others. I hope you're following with what I'm saying because it's so important for us to know this. We're in 2018, and I can tell you, in our church today, and I don't mean bridge, I just mean the bigger church. Talk to church leaders, and they'll always tell you the same thing. There are so many things in the church today that people like to use the term sacred cow to define. You know, it's a sacred cow. What does that mean? Because we focus on the means. We focus on the method that God is actually using. And we think that's the definition of spirituality. So certainly spiritual churches, and I'm being a little facetious here, but I mean, I've heard people say these kinds of things. There's no way a church can actually reach people in the community if their service is only an hour long. When I grew up, we would stay until, you know, we couldn't stand up anymore. When I was a kid, everything, I mean, you were here from a little kid. We were there from 7 o'clock in the morning to 7 p.m. in the evening, and we would do everything. You couldn't, you know, if you're really serving God five days a week, you're doing this, this, and this. And, and, and they go on and on to talk about these were the songs that really touched our hearts, and those are the spiritual songs. And I laugh at those kind of things because most of the time people talk about hymns when they talk about that in the, in the generation. I'm kind of in the middle between the hymn generation and the non-hymn generation. And people associate some of those songs are like, these were the spiritual songs. But, you know, those were like Christian words that were put to bar tunes. You know that, right? I hope some of you know that, that, that they took spiritual words and they put them to the tunes that they would sing in the saloons. But that's the spiritual stuff. Now, I'm not saying that there's nothing wrong with those songs. Are there something wrong? Of course there's not. I love some of those songs. Man, there are some songs that, that are 30, 50, 80 years old that I look at those and I go, some of the new stuff will never replace that stuff in my heart. It never, ever, ever. And I need to have some of that planted in my kid's heart. However, it's when we focus on the means, or the method, I should say. It's when we focus on the presentation of stuff and we define it as this is the way it should look that we lose the relationship with God. And what gets really dangerous is that when we get so conditioned to doing the same things over and over and over again, it becomes easier easier for us to focus and to plan the details because, hey, God did it that way 50 years ago. All we're going to do is keep replicating what he did before. And, And after a while, we get upset because it doesn't feel like it did before. Or we get concerned because it doesn't feel like it did before. And if we don't change our ways, and if we don't change our methods and let God change the way that we do things, we can't stay in intimate relationship with him. We hold on to something that was never intended to be held on to, held on to just like a bronze snake. When God said the purpose of that was to demonstrate my power and healing, not for you to worship something that has no value. Stay in relationship with me. Don't worship something that has no value. 
I think Mission Lansdale was a great example of that this last couple of days because Pastor Rob and, and Pastor Christine and, and Brian Algio that was here and they helped coordinate a lot of that stuff and, and there was a lot of planning that went into this and there's a lot of details that go into this and can I tell you every year now, this is the third year that we've done it, there are similarities and there are things that we do that, that have worked and we go, this is good for the people. The training is good. Let's tweak this. Let's tweak this. But here are some of the, the specific things that we are going to do that we know have worked before. If we are not careful, we could simply just grab what we did last year, put it in place for this year, and expect God to do it. But God doesn't work that way. He is a God of new things. He's always doing new things, and he wants us to come before him on our knees, and he wants us to come before him and say, what will you have for me today, Lord? What do you want to do that's new today? And, you know, we had things that didn't work out. The weather forecast, I don't know if anyone was aware yesterday, but it was kind of wet yesterday morning. It was really wet yesterday morning. And we were looking the night before. We were up late, and three of a couple of us were talking about what we were going to do and changes we were going to make. And, and the stuff that we had in the plan wasn't all going to work in the plan. God, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? And he gave us some really awesome things to do. And we changed gears and we gave the teams new directions on what they're going to do. And it was awesome because we weren't just sticking with the way that it was because last year it worked. The year before it worked. We did it one way and it was successful. Let's do the same thing. You see what, what has to happen in this? We have to be willing to experience God each and every day. We have to be willing to come to him each and every day to experience what it looks like to be in community with him. Jesus said it this way in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6.11. He said, give us today our daily bread. There's a reason why it says that in the Lord's Prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Because God wants you to come to him today for information, for relationship, for intimacy. Do you know next, tomorrow, he wants you to come to him for intimacy, for relationship, He wants you to come to him on Tuesday and on Wednesday and every day of your life. He wants you to sit before him and say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? How can I build this relationship with you each and every day? If you don't think that this is something that's spiritual, especially those of you that are married, I want to just challenge you with this. Okay, everything that you ever did for your spouse, you know, for a birthday or a Christmas or anything, just do the exact same thing every time they have a birthday. I mean, I'm talking about get the card, write the card, and just photocopy it. Every year, just photocopy it. You know, you don't even have to buy a new card. Just take the card and write it out beautifully this year. You'll get great points for it this year. Oh, that's beautiful. Look at do all that next year. Photocopy it, put it in a piece of paper. You can get nice paper, it's okay. Try it. (laughs) You're all like, are you nuts? Well, it worked last year. Why won't it work this year? It worked last year, Pastor Paul. Why isn't it working this year? Nobody with half a mind is going to knock on my door and go, I don't understand. Last year was wonderful. And this year I did the exact same thing. I mean, last year it cost me like all this money. This year it cost me like 10 cents. I just had to photocopy it. And they didn't like it. And I don't understand why. And I don't understand why. No one is going to say that. And if they do say that, there's other issues going on that I can't help you with. But you all know what I'm saying, right? That's silly. That makes no sense. And yet that's how we look sometimes at the things in our faith. Where we go, this is what God did last year. 
And he did it this way through that song. He did it that way through this ministry. He did it that way through this expression, through this method. And let's keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it the same way because he did it that way. Certainly he's going to do it that way again today. No, he doesn't. Because we get in jeopardy of losing relationship with God when that's what happens. I can stand here this morning and tell you that if I made this statement that nobody cares about music anymore, if I said, you know, it's 2018 and I've come to the conclusion that nobody in this community listens to music anymore, the world doesn't need music anymore. You'd look at me and go, what are you talking about? And I'd say, because nobody's listening to music. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I go, because I own an eight-track store in Lansdale, and nobody comes. Nobody comes. Nobody listens to music anymore. Nobody watches movies anymore, because I own the last blockbuster that's, available, that's around in the whole country. It's in Oregon. I don't know if you know this. There's only one blockbuster video left in the entire country, and it's in Oregon. There's only one left. And people go in and they're like, it's so cool to pull the videos off the shelf. And it's the only one left. But nobody in this country watches movies because, hey, I, I own this and, and you know, nobody comes and buys anything anymore. The problem isn't the conclusion. The problem is the method. Because we know that people watch movies today, don't we? What do they do? They stream them. They download them. They go to theaters. They don't want to use tapes or VCRs or VHSs or Betamax or any of that stuff. Some of you are like, what's a VHS? They don't even use that stuff anymore. What do we use? We use Netflix. We download stuff. We use Amazon Prime. We go online. We buy stuff. And we download it. And we have it on our pockets and our phones. We have it on our watches. We have it in our glasses. We have it all over the place. And the individual that would sit there and go, no one visits my video store anymore. I guess nobody watches movies. Doesn't understand they don't understand that the need is still there, but the method has to change. When we did Mission Lansdale this week, yesterday, one of the things we did was we went to a gas station. And with our nice shirts and our water bottles and iced teas and lemonades, we offered people uh, to pump their gas for free. We offered them free drinks while they were there. And it's amazing how many people like to like, hey, I'm not... I don't know, man. You know, and you know, we were careful to make sure that you know, we stayed back behind the car so that when they came out, there was enough space between us and them. Like We weren't going to come up to their, their door you know, and like, freak them out. So we did that one time, and the guy was like, hello. Uh, it was a little uncomfortable. But there was this one gentleman that got out of the car, and I was talking to him for a while. It turns out that he was a member of a, of a church, uh, a bit of a drive from here. It was a large church. Um, it was, at one point, a large church. And I asked him, I said, what can we pray for you for? And he said, Pray for our church. And I said, why? And he said, because 10 years ago, there were, and he rattled off how many thousands of people were at the church. And I said, why? And he goes, well, today, there's like a quarter of that in the church. And I said, well, what's happening? And he said, all the young people are leaving. And I said, why are they leaving? And he couldn't answer the question. Why are they leaving? I don't know. I don't know. And I could tell him, I don't know his church, but I can tell you in my heart why a lot of them leave. A lot of them leave because the church is stuck on a method that doesn't work anymore. We don't want to change. I'm not saying it applies to everyone in this room. I'm saying as the church, we come late to the game. 
And we go, look, God, you did this. And then 20 years later, when our kids are on iPods and iPhones and they're streaming music, we're trying to give them a VCR tape. And they're like, are you serious? I'm going to go somewhere that actually gets the way that I talk. I'm going to go somewhere. And sometimes they go and they never come back because the church has a life cycle. And that's why it's our responsibility as the church globally for us to always be in reinventing ourselves because God is the one who is reinventing all the time. But can I tell you what's so important individually is that we need to start here. We need to start here. And if most of the things that you, you look back at in your life, if the biggest things that God ever did in your life are the past, then you have a problem. Because the biggest things that God should be doing in your life should be right here, right now, looking ahead. Not looking back 20 years, 30 years, 40 years and going, I remember when God really moved. Can I tell you? And we do things like Mission Lansdale and they're going to do an update next week. And I really wish I was here to see that. But, but when, we, when we give the update next week for Mission Lansdale, you'll hear testimonies of people that will say the only thing that really was different between this past weekend and the week before was that I was available was that I stretched myself, when I looked for what God was doing. I opened my hands up and said, what do you want me to do? And God used everybody to the degree that they were willing to be used. That's one of the biggest things that we need to be aware of. And it means getting out of your box. You know, I still know people today that really think in their heart of hearts as a believer that the only way someone's going to come to Christ is if they can possibly figure out a way to get them to church. And then once they get here, they just give them to me. Or they give them to Pastor Rob. Or they get them in the kids' ministry and go, please save them, please save them, please save them. It's silly. Can God use these moments to speak to us? Of course he can. Does he use the word to challenge us? Of course he does. But the methods have to change. And if we're too comfortable in our seats and we're not going to the world and speaking their language and we're not meeting people where they are, we're not willing to do those things differently and change our methods. We'll never see the new life that God wants to bring in into the, the lives of the people around us. Make sense? Are you with me today? You hear what I'm saying? It's so important and it gets harder the older you get. I'm, I mean, listen, I'm, someone told me I'm over middle age, okay? So I'm not, I'm not receiving that, okay? But I, I think it's close because um, I was like, I could live past 90, um, but, but it is close. It's harder to change the older we get. The concrete gets harder every year. And I don't want to be in that place where I say, God, the only way that you can use me is to come in with a jackhammer and break it all up. I want to stay pliable. I want to stay moldable. So when we think of things like, you know, when I talk to friends and pastor friends and they're like, we want to do this differently in our community. And we did something for Mission Lansdale and they met a pastor in the community and saw what we were doing. And they're like, wow, you gave me some really good ideas on what I could bring to our church. And I think about that and I go, let's think out of the box. And I don't just mean to be creative, but I mean, God, I don't care if our building doesn't look like the way that I want it to look like. I don't care, and this is stepping on some people's toes, and I don't want to step on it, but I'll be honest, because I'm going to be in that boat one day too. I already feel it a little bit. I don't care if the music that we sing doesn't look like or feel like what I'm normally used to in my preference. Preferences don't matter. They don't. What matters is that we hone in to the things that are going to speak the language today, right here, right now, to every one of us that are in this room. And I can tell you we have different languages because when I've led worship or I've seen Pastor Matt lead worship, there are some times where people are just like, you know, this song is not doing anything. And you pull a song from 20 years ago, boop, like people are like, I love this. And you can see it. 
It just illuminates something in their heart. And I think what it speaks to, the way that God works, is that he is willing to speak to us the way that we're wired. He's willing to speak to us the way that we are, we are created. But we can't live there because we lose our relevance if we stay there. And the unseen idol becomes the thing where we have an appearance of a church with a structure of a church and the generations that come up after us don't experience the power of God. And if we don't experience the power of God, we lose everybody that comes through the doors of a church. We need the power of God, guys. Like you heard him saying, we need the power of God. We don't need a representation of God. We don't need, well, we had fun music. We sing this song that we sang earlier. And we're going to sing it when we close today. Fear, bow, Jesus, you change everything. Lives healed, hope found, Jesus, you change everything. And I'm sitting there listening to this and I'm going, do we even believe this? Do we even believe this? Or have we so bought into the structure of what Christianity has looked like that our thoughts are, we know that God fits this box, that there's a building called Bridge that we go to, that there are some songs we'll sing at the 9 o'clock or the 11 o'clock for 25 minutes. And we know that when we do that, then we'll go to the next step. And we'll go to the next step. And we've taken a form of what God can use to work in. And he will use that but it becomes the only thing that we camp on, and that's our definition of spirituality. We see it on the outside, but it never gets into our hearts. It needs to be in our hearts, because if we want to really experience God, he needs to be touching us right here where we live. He needs to hit us right where we live, and we can't be that place. I don't want to be that kind of church, and God's doing this, and he's stirring people, and it's wonderful, but the most important thing that I'm working through when I'm thinking about this message is, God, where are the unseen idols in my life? Where are the unseen idols in my heart that I have equated and associated with spirituality? If I do it this way, you're going to always come through. And I don't think that God wants me to do that. When I used to lead worship in the church years ago, anywhere, I'd go visit or we do different things. Many times it was this mindset of, you know, here's, here's, and it wasn't me wanting to do that. I, what I wanted to do was to say, I'm going to go pray and I'm going to go seek God and I'm going to put my list together and I'm going to ask the Lord on what to do. And then I'll talk with the person that's speaking and we'll put the two together and see if God's going to do something and put them together. It's a great way to look at it. And today, when I talk to lots of people today about the way that they do it, it's always the same thing. It's here's where the topic is. Here's the message. We talked about it. And all I'm doing is just applying exactly what the leaders are telling me to do. And we're just giving everyone kind of an instruction list on what to do. That's not seeking God. We need every person in every role across our church to not just be waiting to hear what the next thing is. There has to be leadership in this. Don't get me wrong. But every one of us can hear from God if we have the spirit of God living in us. Every one of us should be listening for the voice of God to hear what the Spirit of God wants to do in us and through us. We shouldn't just be going through the motions and a formula. It can be very, very dangerous. Three quick things I want to mention to you that I alluded to earlier on how we can avoid this. I don't have any slides for you on this. I just want to mention them very quickly. If you want to avoid an unseen idol, an ahushtan, first thing you have to do, you absolutely you need to be available. Are you available? And what I mean by that is not, yes, I come and I sit. I mean, are your hands open? Are your eyes open? Are your ears open? And available means that whatever God is going to put in your heart to do, are you willing to try something new? Sometimes we just need to try something new. If we keep doing the same thing over and over again, what do we get? The same results. 
Trying something new and being available is what God's looking for. He's not looking for qualified people. He's looking for available people. Are you available is the first question. Second thing is to be intentional. That when you're available, it means that you're proactively looking for what God wants to do around you and through you. That you're seeking his word saying, I expect you to reveal yourself to me because I'm being intentional. No one accomplishes anything in this world without being intentional. And why do we understand that in the practical, but we struggle with it in the spiritual? You know, I will be one day, you know, a world-class swimmer. That's what I believe in my heart. We went to the YMCA the other day and we we were showering in the YMCA and I looked at that that lap pool and I'm like, I'm going to swim in the Olympics one day. But I don't really swim very well and I don't belong to the Y and I'm not going to. (laughs) Isn't that ridiculous? I could walk around and tell all of you I'm going to be Olympic swimmer and every one of you would be like, dude, you're like one nut short of a whole bunch (laughs) or maybe one nut too. You see where I'm going with this? Intentionality says I'm available and I'm going to, with laser focus, I'm going to be about doing what God is asking me to do. We have people, I believe, across our church that are called to have the gift. And I mean everyone can evangelize and should, but called for the gift of evangelism, but they don't prepare themselves. But they don't, they're not prepared in season or outside of season. We have people that are struggling with different kinds of addictions or sins. And you know what? They're struggling with it because they're not going into the word and they're intentionally saying, there are tools that God has given me to fight this. I want to know what it is. And I'm going to be on my face before God. And like the persistent widow who knocked on that door waiting to receive a blessing, I am not going to let go until God blesses me. Intentionality says we need to do something different. You can't go through life haphazardly and not expect to have haphazard results. It's the same thing financially. Anyone would tell you that from retirement. You know, the lie that people have every time the Powerball gets to like $700 million or a billion dollars, and everyone's like, this is my payday, baby. And they're sitting there. You're, listen, if you're irresponsible with the money you have now, getting a couple hundred million, you're going to be totally irresponsible with the couple hundred million that you have. Why? Because intentionality says you learn good financial discipline. Intentionality says you learn how to save. Intentionality says you don't buy something you can't afford. Intentionality says you tithe and you give back to God because he's the one that gave it to you in the first place. And if you don't have all your stuff in a row and you're not disciplined in the way that you're doing those things, why in the world would you expect to be better off in the future? In fact, all you need to do is YouTube a whole bunch of stories of people that won the lottery and see how their lives were completely ruined because of it. Because money destroyed them. And it works like that in every area of our life. Be intentional. Be available, be intentional. Don't just say, God moved this way before and I'm just gonna keep doing the same thing because that's what God did. There are times he wants us to repeat certain things. Don't get me wrong. But we can't just keep applying the old methods, expecting God to do the same thing over and over again. And the last thing, Pastor Matt, as you guys would come and the worship team would be to be obedient. When he calls us to respond, Will we obey or will we do nothing? Obedience is what matters most. Obedience is what matters most. If you're available, that's great. But can I tell you many times I've had people come up to me. Every mission trip that I've been on over the years, people get this stirring in their heart. Every mission trip, there's a stirring in their heart. They have this vision or this intentionality about doing something. They come back into the world that we live in every day with this desire to want to do something. And can I tell you, in some situations, it never goes anywhere. Do you know why? Because they're not walking out in it. God can speak 
God can give a plan. God can show you the next step, but we're ultimately the ones that have to take that step. So if you're here today and you're feeling like some of your best days, maybe your best days are behind you spiritually, maybe there's an unseen idol in your life that God wants you to blow up. Maybe there's a structure that God's asking you this morning to say, that worked then, but I have new life for you today. I have new hope for you today. I want you to experience something today unprecedented because he's always working and he's always doing a good work. When the apostle Paul went to the church in Ephesus, he didn't pray a prayer over them that said, my prayer for you is that you would remember every good work that I ever did with you and through and and for you while I was with you. He didn't say, my prayer for you is that you would hold on to every miracle that God ever did while I was visiting with you. He didn't say those things to the church in Ephesus. This is what he said. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. What is he saying? He's saying, don't hold on to the past. Don't look backwards. Today, right here, right now, you can experience the presence of God's glory in your life. Right here, right now, you can experience the love of God. Right here, right now, you can let God use you to demonstrate his power to those around you. That it's not about what he's done, it's about what he wants to do through you today. You with me? You hear me? It's what he wants to do with you today. And are we willing to let go of some of the stuff before? I want to honor the past. I've said this all the time for people. Let's honor the past and thank God for every sacrifice that was ever made. Let's thank God. Even I look at our building and I go, you know, the people that have been connected with this church before we were bridged would tell you the sacrifices that were made for this land they tell you the sacrifices that were made for this building to be built. they tell you the budget, the shoestring budget they were on so that they could get into this place. they tell you those things and we're going to honor that. But can I tell you, they did what God asked them to do in that time, in that moment, to continue his work. And what is our response today? What is God calling us to do today? He doesn't want us just to enjoy the things that he's done before us. He wants us to look with our hearts bowed, our heads down, quietly listening for the voice of the Spirit to say, today I've called you to a new work. Today I'm calling you to a new place. Today I'm calling you to no longer just stay in the old and to remember the old, but to begin a new work. Can I tell you guys, the way that God's going to touch people in this church and in this community is if we rip some things up. we got to rip some things up. This isn't a message of here's why the church is going to look different in a year. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking it starts in our hearts. It starts with every one of us getting up every day and going, some routines are healthy, but some routines are destructive. And we can't believe just because God did it this way 15 or 20 years ago, or even last year, that he wants to do the same thing tomorrow. Because we have to stay in close relationship to him. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. Can you put that bridge up for me, Greg, of that song? I just want you to think of these words just for a moment as we get ready to close this morning. 
and think about what the gospel is supposed to do and the impact the gospel is supposed to have in our lives and in the lives of people around us. We sing these words. Think about this. Chains fall. What is he talking about? It means we are no longer slaves to sin because of the work of Jesus Christ. You and I are no longer bound to the things of this world because Jesus paid the price so we could be free. You hear me? Fear bows. Fear can paralyze us. I think there's some of us here today that are paralyzed in fear because change is not able to happen. That thinking about making a change paralyzes you so much you can't see what God wants to do tomorrow. Because you can't get out of where you were before. The routine, the control, the fear. I need the fear to bow this morning. Jesus died so that we're not a slave and that we're not a slave to fear. Right here. Right now. Why? Because Jesus, you change everything. We sing these words this morning. I'm going to pray over this church and I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us to challenge us to identify the unseen idols in our hearts that maybe we're good for a time, but God wants to do something new in our lives today. Would you, would you stand with us, please, this morning? I'm just going to invite, as the team begins to sing this, that our hearts would be open to the things that God would want us to say or God would want us to hear and to do. Holy Spirit, we speak, we speak to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and Spirit of God, we invite you into this room. I invite you into our hearts. Spirit of God, I pray over each person that's here today. God, we do not want to go through motions. We do not want to go through the same old, same old, same old. We want there to be fresh life. We want there to be new life. We want there to be joy. God, I pray joy over those that struggle with joy. I pray peace over those that struggle with anxiety, Lord. I pray healing over those that struggle with illness and, and, and disease. God, we pray freedom for those who struggle with slavery today. And God, I just ask in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, that you would reveal to our hearts today what parts of our lives are unseen idols. What part of our lives that we're still worshiping something that you did years ago because we believe it's still supposed to look like that. But God, you haven't changed. You just want to speak to us through a new way. God, would you open our hearts today to your presence and may the methods be cast away. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.